This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Kavish Chowdhury, who's the Chief Pharmacy Officer at University of Utah Health and Associate Dean of Pharmacy Practice at the University of Utah College of Pharmacy. Kavish, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Laura. Now, I'm really excited for our conversation and to learn more about what you're seeing in the pharmacy space as well as what you're doing at the University of Utah Health. But before we dive into that discussion, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah. Uh, so as you mentioned, my name is Kavish. I'm the Chief Pharmacy Officer here at the U and work at the College of Pharmacy as well. I've been in Utah for about 15 years. I came out here for, honestly, chasing after a girl. Um, I never thought of Utah for this long, but uh, an opportunity to open up the U of U um, when I was in Oregon. I was at OHSU for a number of years, and uh, my now wife was in Utah, and I just wanted to be closer to her. So I started calling around, an opportunity to open up at the U, and I, I jumped on it. And uh, just... Uh, Slowly worked my way up over the last uh, 13 years or so, and then jumped into this role as a chief about two years ago. Uh, but excited to be here at the U, and we're doing some pretty incredible things. Well, that's amazing to hear, and what a great story um, coming to Utah. And definitely, you know, it seems like that was the right decision now that, uh, you know, you're married to your wife. Yeah, Definitely. Absolutely. Well, perfect. I'm wondering, based on your role with um, as the chief pharmacy officer, what are some of the trends that you're following most closely today? You know, things that are kind of jumping out of it right now is I think a lot of my colleagues are talking about the workforce issues that are out there that are impacting both technicians and pharmacists. Um, you know, we've done some things to kind of mitigate that at the U, but uh, again, it's something that we're definitely following because it's going to have an impact on us. Something that I think is kind of coming and brewing right now is the impact of uh, venture capital firms in healthcare and the impact of that on pharmacy specifically, I, I honestly don't have a crystal ball what's going to look like, but it's something where you're seeing more and more VC firms getting involved. And I just don't know how, what to expect, but we should be be prepared for disruption with that. Uh, I think we're seeing um, uh, Summa Health out in, uh, in Ohio just got bought out by a VC firm. So I'm very curious to see what's going to happen there. And knowing that, it, especially here in Salt Lake, there are a number of VC firms as well. You know, is there opportunity for us to partner with them or us to potentially work with them more closely? But it's honestly, for me, it's an unknown, something I'm keeping an eye on. In addition, on top of the workforce and the VC stuff, it's really AI or artificial intelligence. I, you know, I speak to vendors all the time, and they have their AI solution. And, you know, I, 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 to me, it's I've heard a lot about the AI solutions. I have not seen something that's truly worked yet. So I'm curious to see where the direction that going to go over the coming over the coming years. Oh, absolutely. And I think both of those things you mentioned, workforce and AI, certainly are on the tip of so many people's tongues. And from your perspective, when you're looking at um, the artificial intelligence available and speaking to the vendors, I'm sure you're getting pitches and connections every single day of people trying to connect you with new things and, and cutting edge technologies. So what's your approach there? How do you think about that? Are, are you trying to you know really be on the cutting edge? Are you more conservative? What really resonates with you when you're having those types of conversations? Yeah, something to kind of flag out with the University of Utah Health, we're part of the University of Utah, which is directly part of the state. So whatever we do as a pharmacy department, as a health system, I do want to make sure I'm aligned up with the university. And so there's been a, an ask from the university leadership going, hey, if we are investigating AI options, let's make sure the university is well aware of what's going on here. So um, I think as a nature, because of that, it's going to make us a bit more cautious because we have to have a few more eyes looking at this. So we've engaged in some conversations about potential use of AI in our 340D compliance, um, you know, looking at um, uh, you know, matching um, 
provider with a visit and uh, prescriptions and stuff like that. We also utilize some AI in trying to help with authorizations in the ambulatory sector as well. But as we are looking at those technologies, again, we're working very closely with our uh, University of Utah Health IT as well as the University of Utah IT in general to make sure that we are keeping things in line. Um, because again, being a part of the university and as a part of the state, uh, there are some restrictions we have. So again, as I mentioned, I guess kind of by default makes it a bit more conservative, maybe more conservative than I would prefer to be, but it's something where I want to make sure that we are compliant with the, the rules and regulations of the university. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's definitely fascinating, too. You were talking about some of the venture capital firms and how that is really changing healthcare, some of the new potential partnerships and opportunities. From the pharmacy standpoint, what does that mean for you? What, you know, it makes you excited about that potential opportunity? What makes you nervous? You know, a little the excitement comes from just getting folks that have different backgrounds and giving out different ideas or just expressing interest. And I think we all love talking about what we do to a certain extent. And, Getting somebody else that maybe has resources that we haven't thought about. You know, I've, I've always been in academic medical centers in my career, and for the most part, always at state-based academic medical centers. So there are some financial constraints associated with that. But getting folks that have outside dollars that maybe want to potentially try to help you solve a problem is exciting because it just brings in some new ideas. Um, you know, some of the concerns it does bring in, though, is that um, – you know, my, I don't know much about venture capital firms other than what I saw on TV uh, from the show Silicon Valley, which I'm guessing is probably not the way they truly are, but um, I don't know much about them. I don't know much how they operate, um, but my understanding is that they're in it for a profit. And uh, a lot of stuff we do in healthcare, uh, you do it for the greater good. And there's a lot of things you do that are, I mean, take a line from business, are, that are lost leaders that you kind of have to do to be able to treat the entire patient. So I'm, the concern I have is that are they going to start cherry picking things that are, you know, the true and true profit models that may potentially um, make some of the, uh, the loss leaders within healthcare uh, suffer a bit more. So that's, that's a concern I have. Also, um, I mean, I think we can attest that a lot of things in healthcare just take a long time. And, um, you know, I, I do have some, uh, some buddies of mine back home in Ohio that do work as part of the venture capitalist firm, and it's where they're in it to be in and out pretty quick. Again, that's an, an, a venture capital firm, one venture capital firm aware of. And, um, my understanding is that they're, they may not have the patience to work with some of the stuff we're doing here. They may not have the, the patience to stick around for a couple of years to see something kind of come to fruition. Again, that's my experience with one firm, but this is something where I have a concern where some things we're trying to do here will take some time to make some significant changes and potentially to turn a profit on. So really the concern I have is that is somebody going to jump in and jump out because they're just not seeing the results they want to and potentially leave something in a position to where they're not really at um, the full launch com- com- uh, capability. That's such an excellent point and definitely something that we at Beckers are going to continue to watch as well. Now, I'm wondering, could you tell me about a project or initiative that you're most proud of from the last year? Yeah, um, there's one that jumps out at me. And, um, you know, we talked about workforce shortage at the beginning of the call. And, um, you know, the technician piece has been impacting a lot of folks across the country. And Utah's not not, uh, alone in that. Um, a couple of things about Utah, just in general, our unemployment typically been less than two and a half the last uh, five or six years. So, the reality there isn't much of a workforce out here uh, that's uh, that's available. It's kind of lying around. And you, know, you look at the major healthcare systems in the state, as well as the major healthcare organizations, um, we've all been struggling to capture on labor. And uh, at the U, we've had a number of programs to kind of build a pipeline for our pathway for technicians over the years. We've had partnerships with community colleges and partnerships with uh, two local high schools. And um, we've had a, a relationship with an online program that's been kind of on or off for the last couple of years. 
And about um, almost two years ago, we got a colleague of ours from the Utah Refugee Center reached out to us and saying, hey, uh, and just for background, Salt Lake is a uh, sanctuary city and uh, a welcoming city. So um, there are a number of refugees that end up out here, refugees or new Americans that end up out in Salt Lake. And you know, my contact called me going, we have a number of folks here that have moved to Salt Lake. They want to work. Want to train them? And I'm looking at our online program. I had just gotten off a call about our online program going, what do we do with this? We saw some decreasing enrollment. And I'm like, well, what if we remove the barriers of cost of education? So we initially started with the idea of let's partner with the Refugee Center. But then we said, let's pull down all the barriers. Anybody that wants to become a pharmacy technician, I'll pay for. And we've set aside some money. We set aside a couple hundred thousand dollars for the first year. And about 80 to 85 scholarships are kind of presented out there. Uh, for folks that just want to become a technician, I'd pay for it and no strings attached. So I wouldn't necessarily make them um, pay it back. I didn't require them to work for us. Um, right now, we have 119 folks enrolled in the program. Uh, about 50 or so are working for us at the University of Utah Health. The other 60-plus or 60 or so are working elsewhere throughout the region. Uh, of the 50 that work for us, 12 have already graduated and are now working for us full-fledged as pharmacy technicians. Um, and it's been a great way for us to solve our workforce shortage uh, with the technician piece. And it's um, really, for me, the human interest piece is that, uh, you know, if I look at the, the 50 some odd folks that are working for us right now as part of the tech and training program, you know, the, I, about a third of them are our students. You know, we're, we are based on the University of Utah campus, so there are students that are just looking at, um, you know, kind of making some extra cash while they're in school. And plus, we actually do have some pretty cool benefits here at the university where if you do work uh, about 0.75 or above, uh, you do qualify for has price tuition, so a lot of students are kind of capitalizing on that. So, again, about a third of our technician and training pool is that. Another third are folks that are uh, just exploring a second career you know, or a different career, and this is a way to get it done because it's being paid for. And then the last third are folks that are, are new Americans or refugees. And for me, just getting to know some of these folks, I, I've met with a, a number of them on occasion. I've done a, a few press releases with a few of them as well, and just the excitement about that they have a, a new career opportunity. Uh, for the folks, all of them are aware of our technician pathways, meaning what I mean by that is that we've had techs that have done some incredible things here. Uh, we've got uh, a number of um, rungs on our career technician ladder here, uh, four formal, but really about six or seven total rungs, and we've seen techs do some incredible things here. Um, to a lot of our students we've marketed to where our techs have gone. Um, we looked at uh, 100 technicians that left us in the last couple of years and just that, that were students for the most part and where they went. Uh, about 70 of them went on to pharmacy school, about a dozen went to nursing school, another dozen went to medical school, a couple went to law school um, and other uh, graduate programs. So it's been a huge marketing component for us as we talk to folks that are enrolled in college about, hey, work in our department. Um, you're going to learn how to work really hard. You're going to learn some really cool things. You're going to learn how to work as a team and work in an interdisciplinary environment. And um, it'll set you, set you up well for future success. And, you know, really a lot of our past technicians have managed it up as well, so it's been some of our best recruiting cycles. So when I talk about what I'm proud about is that we went from having a number of openings across our entire organization. So for numbers about our department were 790-ish FTEs, about 1,000 bodies. Uh, we've got 17 retail pharmacies and five hospitals. And, you know, looking at um, probably January or February of 2022, we probably had about 40 to 50 openings. Uh, for technicians, and now I look at my my roster, I have maybe three or four openings total. Um, you know, I think for us the the proof is in the numbers. Our technician turnover went from hovering around 20% to less than 10%. So it's 
so I think you know that's what we're really proud of seeing one the the interest of the story and like the interest of the people that are coming in here and the, the how they're performing and how it's really stabilized our, our overall workforce but also then getting to know these folks like they're really awesome people and just it's been uh, for me really fulfilling to kind of hear their stories and you know, the impact that um, they've had on our institution as well as the impact we've had on them. I love that. I think that's so amazing to hear. And what a great way to really solve a very challenging problem. I think we at Beckers have heard um, more recently, especially that, you know, the tech shortage has been such a big challenge and almost for some systems, a bigger challenge than the nursing workforce shortage at the moment. So um, it's really cool to hear how, you know, you were able to build out that program and then how rewarding it's been for many of the graduates as well. And the success we've had with this, um, so I'm I'm now taking this, what we've done to our HR department, and we know we have other departments in the organization that are struggling with uh, trying to fill in um, a lot of the entry-level positions. And so working closely with our HR department as well as looking with the lower campus or the academic campus, how do we mimic this? And so really the question we're, at, we're asking out loud is that, okay, you want to get a – who wants a career in healthcare? Great. Let's go here to this page or this website or whatever – and get folks that are interested in maybe you want to become an MA. And MA is a great way of get a pathway to get to uh, nursing school. Or you want to become a radiology tech. Or you want to become a surgical tech. And, you know, whether it's a career pathway or a rung in your career or a step in your career, how do we decrease that barrier in getting folks in the door? So we're, we've got meetings set up over the coming months. And how do we take what we've done so far and kind of revamp it? And, I'm, you know, for me, cool. Like, I, 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 I'm actually pretty stable in our workforce. I've got a waiting list of 312 folks right now. So you know, we feel like we've got a good number of folks, but those are folks that are they're motivated, they want to work. I don't want to um, ignore them. How do I route them in a place where they can actually utilize their desire to work or utilize their desire to get in healthcare or work for the university? So um, that's kind of our next step with this is like going beyond just pharmacy and looking at you know, our uh, MA, the medical assistant program, the CNA program, the sort of nursing assistant or rad tech or surgical tech or anything else we potentially may need within our system. That's amazing. I, I love that. And I think it sounds like such a, a important and, uh, you know, smart way to scale that kind of program. And like you said, keep those people who are engaged and want to work and, and want to, you know, take the next level in their career to be able to do that and uh, also have it be in a meaningful spot for the system as well. Before we wrap up here, I'm wondering, could you talk a little bit about how you're thinking about growth and development for the future? I'm sure that ties into what we were just talking about with the the program um, that that you're doing in in connecting with the rest of the health system on. But is there anything else you want to speak to um, in terms of growth and development going forward? Yeah, I think for me, when I think about like our our health and the University of Health, it's it's access. Um, you know, we're pretty landlocked in regards to our main medical campus. Um, and yeah, we have community clinics throughout the, the region that covers five counties. But again, getting some of our clinics, the wait list can be quite long. Um, so really, how do we work on the access issues and think about the future opportunities and how does pharmacy play a role within that? And, you know, you think about how probably the night for dinner, I, my wife and I will door dash for the kids. You know, it's, it's so think about that kind of mentality. How do we try to take health care to the home? Uh, is there opportunity for our uh, – we provide better access that way? Do we try to provide more convenience that way? Obviously, you can't build a clinic in somebody's house, but there are certain aspects of care we can try to bring closer to home, and does that potentially alleviate some of the constraints we have on access within our system? So, you know, I think these are ideas that are already out there, and, and some places are doing it well, but how do we potentially standardize some of that or maybe put more emphasis on that? Because I look at some of our specialty clinics here, 
you could be waiting to get into that clinic for six or eight months. And you know that's, that's if you have a if you're if you're in pain if you're if you're sick that that that's just not acceptable. So how do we potentially help mitigate help patients and mitigate some of the concerns that they have and just getting to the system a bit more efficiently? And I, I think pharmacy has a huge component to that. Um, so what can we do to help with that? And that's really I think for me the future to think about where our opportunities are. How do we streamline getting access to care? Um, you know, you shouldn't just have to like, oh, I may call and make an appointment, and appointments uh, a couple of months later, it should be like, okay, I'm I'm not feeling well, I want to get an appointment. How do I get in faster? And that may come down to how do we triage, as we talked about earlier, how we potentially utilize AI and helping kind of like screen the patients maybe beforehand and potentially tier them uh, or score them in a way that we go, okay, this is the person that's most acute, we got to see them right away for somebody that's not as acute. Or we think about how do we utilize our, our existing spaces. Um, you know, we've we've done some internal studies here in recognizing a lot of our clinic spaces are not used effectively. You know, where there it's open space um, because of the way the the provider schedule is set up or the templates are set up. How do we again maximize the time that we are open? Or how do we think about you know we are open? I don't say banker hours, but we're open you know Monday through Friday type hours in a lot of our community clinic type settings. How do we potentially meet the community's needs? And, and it really kind of analyze that to decrease the barriers to access. And that does go back to the concerns we have about workforce and stuff like that. But again, thinking about where, how do we open up our doors more and decrease some of those wait times we have for our patients. And then from the pharmacy standpoint, again, I think we do provide a lot of solutions, um, especially as the patient's kind of getting out the door. Uh, I think as we, we may be able to transition the patient faster from clinic to home or potentially in certain cases, keep the patient from having to come in. That's fascinating to hear it. It certainly seems like where healthcare is headed. Kadish, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been such a fun and fascinating conversation. I learned a lot and I'm really excited about what you're doing at University of Utah Health. So thank you for jumping on the line with me and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Here, thanks so much. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks, To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.